This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. In 1508, the Italian poet Quinziana Stoa wrote Theo Androthanatos Tragedia. Now, most people have never heard of this work, and in fact, it was not very popular even while Stoa was alive. I'm sure Stoa is not on your list of top five poets, even maybe your top five Italian poets, for that matter. But Stoa, he actually, the reason why he wasn't popular because he wasn't a very good poet. One of his own contemporaries described him like this. He's a pedantic grammarian rather than a poet, a man who should be grouped instead with boastful scoundrels and mudslingers and who acquires devoted followers not by talent or merit, but by the worthless tricks of the street. Poor Stoa. He's not very popular even in his own time. But that's because he just wasn't a good poet. So you might be asking, why bring up Stoa and his poem, Theo Androthanatos, Tragedia? Well, one, I thought I'd impress you with how well I pronounced that. <laughs> Theo Androthanatos. But two, because many consider this poem by Stoa to be the first poem in literature to handle the death of Christ as a tragedy. Now, when I say tragedy, I'm not talking about a tragedy in the modern sense of the word. Today, when we hear that word tragedy, we think of it as an event causing great suffering, destruction, or distress. When bad thing, events ne affect negative, negatively affect people, we call them tragic. It's sorrow on a grand scale. The fact that the Navy has only beaten Army twice in the last eight years is a tragedy. Great suffering. The fact that Army beat Navy yesterday was tragic. But in literature, and especially in drama, Tragedy means something a little different. In literature, a tragedy is a play with an unhappy ending, especially one concerning the downfall of the main character. Tragedies, tragedies have been a staple in drama since the classical Greeks, but it was Shakespeare who perfected the tragedy. Richard II, Dr. Faustus, Hamlet are all Shakespearean tragedies. Of course, we're all familiar with the most famous Shakespearean tragedy, I think, for never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and Romeo. In fact, the original title of that play in 1594 was The Tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. Why was it a tragedy? Because everyone dies. At least the main characters do. It's not a happy ending. So why is this why, this is why Stoa was not a good poet at all. Let's go back to the title of his poem. Remember, Stoa titled his poem, Theo Androthanatos Tragedia. The title literally means the tragedy of the death of the God-man. Why did he choose this title? Because he made the major mistake of misunderstanding the purpose of the incarnation of Christ. He did not understand the purpose of Christ coming to earth. He saw the death of Christ on the cross as a tragedy, an unhappy ending of the downfall of the main character. He did not understand that Christ came 
to seek and to save sinners. Ladies and gentlemen, the death of Christ was not the makings of a classical tragedy. But unless you know the Savior, unless you know the main character of the story, you will also make the same error that Stoa did. So why do I bring this up? Why the talk about theatrical tragedies? Perhaps after the show-stopping performance we just witnessed by our young and aspire thespians, this evening drama is naturally on our mind. And while that's true, I want to contrast Stoa's use of tragedy with what we know to be the reason as to why Christ came to earth. You see, understanding the purpose of his first advent is crucial in helping us to not make the mistake that Stoa did. As many of you are aware, our church's verse of the month is Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. For those of you visiting, each Sunday morning as a congregation, we recite these verses throughout the month of December. We recite them together. And the first verse, verse 4, says this, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. God sent his Son to the earth, but it is not until verse 5 that we see why he did that. Why did he send his Son? Jesus came with a specific purpose. Verse 5 tells us the why. It says, He came to redeem them that were under the law. God sent his son to earth to redeem them. As you read that verse or listen to it, you might gloss over that word redeem. Or you might actually pay close attention to it, but you do so by quickly jumping directly into the great gratitude for the result of that redemption. And it's good to be thankful for that redemption. But the end of verse 5 tells us the result of that redemption. Verse 5 concludes that we might receive the adoption of sons. This is the why. This is why we've been redeemed, to be part of God's family. And that's an incredible truth. God did send his son. He sent his son to redeem us. And that redemption results in those redeemed receiving the adoption of sons. What a magnificent truth. But when you stop and look at the word redeemed or redemption, and you really ponder it, there's so much packed into that word. But let's first understand what the word redemption means. A Bible definition of that word redeemed simply means to buy up. But with the idea of paying a ransom, to rescue from loss. So the word redeem implies that some sort of cost is included in our salvation. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to buy us back, to ransom us, to save us from loss. I think we could surmise that for God to do this, for him to even consider purchasing back fallen humanity, the price must have been incredible, maybe even impossibly high. It must have been an unfathomable price. After all, how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? If you read the chapters preceding these verses in Galatians 4, you would see that Paul had already talked about the high price of redemption. 
In Galatians 3, verse 13, Paul reveals to us the somber reality of redemption. It's not an insignificant cost. He tells us that Christ hath redeemed us, or Christ paid our ransom. He saved us from loss. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By being made a curse for us. That was the price. He was made a curse for us. In the most simple terms I know, God made his son, own son, to be sin for us. This son who knew no sin became sin for us. He was cursed that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin, our sin, and thus became cursed. And the curse was death. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Jesus died for us. But why? The writer of Hebrews is very clear about it. That writer says, but Christ, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, here's the word again, eternal redemption for us. He died to obtain our redemption. His death was the price. And in Hebrews, we see that redemption, the price, the bind back, the ransoming of our souls is eternal. So we see in Galatians and Isaiah and Hebrews, and those are just the passages we've looked at this evening, that the purpose of Jesus' coming was to redeem us by becoming a curse for us, by shedding his blood for us, by dying for us. The reality is Jesus came to earth for one purpose, to die for us. Now, I'm the father of five children. I've held each one as an infant. And in those moments after they're born, my first thought was not, I wonder how they're going to die. No, that, wasn't, that was the farthest from my mind. I count their fingers and their toes to make sure they were all there. For the girls, I took such careful inventory of their faces, told them how beautiful they were. Wasn't that concerned with the boys. They could have had a dent in their head for all I cared. I was just glad they made it. And then I would tell them that they were a man, and they start need to think about getting a job and pulling their weight. But never did I once think that the purpose of this child's birth was to die. But yet, that's what Mary knew of her son. Jesus came to die. Brother Ned, I think it's fitting that we have begun our Christmas singing here at Good News Baptist Church with the song, Born to Die. We sang it this morning, but it was the first song we sang last Sunday morning to begin our corporate celebration of Christmas. In that song, Ron Hamilton writes, O'er the place where he lay fell a shadow cold and gray of a cross that would humble a king. From his throne Jesus came, laid aside heaven's fame in exchange for the cross of Calvary. For my gain suffered loss, for my sin he bore the cross. He was wounded and I was set free. Born to die upon Calvary, Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. Born to die upon Calvary, he was wounded that I might live. So then how is that not a tragedy? 
Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking that I have perhaps unwittingly proven Stoa's point. If Jesus was born to die, isn't that a tragedy? Let's go back to classical drama to help us. Do you remember the definition of tragedy? It's a play with an unhappy ending, especially one concerning the downfall of the main character. Do you know what the opposite of a tragedy and drama is? It's a comedy. Now, I want to be very careful here. The word comedy has certainly changed in meaning today. Today it means to make people laugh, sometimes in any way possible. But in classical literature, a drama was simply a story that had a happy ending. You know how I learned this? I learned it from my daughter, Carolyn. We were talking about tragedies, and she says, Dad, do you know how comedies end? They end with a wedding. So as a good dad, I went to the Google machine to search to see if these things were so. And wouldn't you know, in Shakespearean comedies, they all end with a wedding. His tragedies end in death. His comedies end in a wedding. Hero and Claudio are married in much ado about nothing. Kate and Perutruccio get hitched in Taming of the Shrew. In Twelfth Night, Merchant of Venice, and A Midsummer's Night Dream, you guessed it, wedding, wedding, wedding. Happily Ever After is the earmark of a Shakespearean comedy. In drama, a comedy has a happy ending. And wouldn't you know that in the greatest story ever told, Jesus does not just die. Amen. He rises again. Amen. You see, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and it is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So let me end with this. I think Revelation 19 is clear on how things end for those who believe on his name, who believe in the risen Savior. The Bible says, and after these things, I heard a great voice and much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. And again they said, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunder, and saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For why? The marriage of the Lamb is come Amen. and his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints and he saith unto me right blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the lamb Amen. that's how the story ends it's a happy ending with a marriage, with a wedding. It's an ending where we are united with our Savior in that eternal redemption. And the real tragedy is for those who reject this baby who came here to die. It's tragic for anyone to reject the redemption that is so readily available to them. Jesus was born to die, and we are invited to be born again so that we might live life and have life more abundantly. Amen. Which side of life's drama are you on? 
Will, you be, will it be a tragedy where you reject the salvation of your soul and die in a very unhappy ending? Or will you revel in the grace that God has so freely given through the death of Jesus Christ, his own son, so that you might be adopted into the family of God? The choice, it's yours. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the, what we've been able to witness this evening. But Father, I pray that if there's someone here this evening who may have been entertained and enjoyed the play, but yet they don't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you would draw them to you and that through the play, through the singing, through the music, through the message, that that gospel presentation would be clear to them and that they would accept you as Lord and Savior. You sent your son. He was born to die. I pray, though, that we would accept the salvation of our souls so that we would be alive to live for you and with you forevermore. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.